Second Corinthians chapter three. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? We don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you as some other people do, do we? You, you yourselves are our letters written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, revealing that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets of human hearts. Now we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate to be servants of a new covenant, not based on the letter, but on the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry that produced death, carved in letters on stone tablets, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory which was made ineffective. How much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? For indeed, what had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendous, tremendously greater glory of what replaced it. For if what was made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what remains came in glory, come in glory. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness. And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the results of the glory that was made ineffective. But their minds were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. But until this very day, whenever Moses, is, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Have you ever thought about your purpose in life? I mean, to think about why you're here on earth, why God has not yet taken you home, and by the way, even if you are aged and infirm and you feel like you should have gone by now, God, you're, if you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. Have you ever thought about what is your purpose in life? It, during the mentoring process, one of the things that I had to consider had to ask those that were going through the process, what is your purpose in life? And Bill, they were required to write it out. And it usually would start out, John, as a half a page or more. And then the goal was to boil it down to make it simple and succinct. Now, I want to tell you, you do not have to create your purpose in life. God has a purpose for you. You have to discover your purpose in life. You don't have to justify your existence. God has a plan and has a purpose. 
Our goal, Casey, is to discover His purpose in our lives, not create it artificially, but to be so open to Him that we discover and realize why we're here. So because I was having students do that, I had to do the same thing myself, Jonathan. I mean, how can I require them to, to write their purpose as a simple statement without doing it myself? And I came to realize, having discovered over years of ministry, that through my preaching and through my teaching and through my counseling, my purpose in life was to be a life changer. Now that may sound arrogant to you. I do not mean it to be arrogant. I just know that God was using me in various situations that I could have an impact on people's lives and make a change in their lives. Now, Wendy, sometimes it was just a small change, but we were, we were talking about Civil Air Patrol and we've got an Air Force veteran or two or three in here this morning. If, if you take the autopilot, Sam, and you just turn it two degrees, it won't make much difference when you leave Los Angeles till you hit the mountains. But by the time you hit the East Coast, that two degrees in direction will be a huge change in your life. Now, only Christ can make a 180 degree change in somebody's life. But as individuals and as a church, our purpose and our task is to be a life changer. We need to be a life-changing church. Paul was a life-changer, and he planted churches that were life-changing churches. Now, you heard all of chapter 3. Sometimes you may wonder why I want so much Scripture read. That's because some of you will hear more Scripture on Sunday morning than you will for the entire rest of the week. Now, that's, that's a sad statement, but I know people. And so I know that that may be true in your case. And so we read the entire chapter. But how do you have a life-changing church? First of all, our ministry must be about people. Our ministry is not just about people. I had that in here, and I took it out, Jonathan, because it's not just about people. Kelly, it is people. Our ministry is a people ministry. He said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? We don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you as some other people do, do we? You yourselves are our letter, letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. We don't need a spiritual resume. Now understand what was going on in, in that day. Brock, there were Jews, Jewish teachers who were coming around and they had all kinds of letters of recommendation and theological degrees and they were teaching a false gospel that, and we talked about that in our Sunday school class this morning, Rodney, 
that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. Well, they had all kinds of letters of recommendation, but they were teaching a false gospel. And, and Paul said, our gospel is not about laws and letters and Torahs. And it's, it is the Word of God, but it's about people. It is about people. We need to understand that. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. One of the things I'm, I'm celebrating, okay, I celebrated becoming your pastor back at the 1st of October because that's when it really began. But I, I guess sometime in January maybe is the official time. But is that bothering you as much as it is me? Okay. I just have the worst luck with those things. <laughs> it's, it's about people. One of the changes that, that I tried to make the minute I became your pastor, interim or not, was ministry is about people. And notice that he says, written on our hearts. You have to have a heart for people. Nobody belongs in ministry who does not have a heart for people. That includes our volunteers. That needs to be the culture of our church, that it's all about people. It's not about programs. It's not about buildings. It's all about people. And our church will not be a life-changing church until it's about people. It's about people, not programs. He said, the letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not, should have made that red, on tables of stone, but on human hearts. Now, I'm glad we have the building we do. Not everybody's as thrilled with it, I guess, as I am, but I love this, this area of worship because I can see all the way to the back. I remember preaching in the building when it was turned this way, and I couldn't recognize anybody's face more than halfway back in that building. And I can see all the way to Mark and Michelle. Praise God. I can see every one of you, and you can see each other. And this configuration makes it more about people than it does about the building. And ministry is not about programs. I'm glad for our small group. I'm really excited about Todd's group. Um, that, that is such a blessing. I'm excited about Chris and Kelly's group. Those are our new classes, and they are going well. I'm excited about that, but those classes are not about a program. They're about the people in the class. And Chris and Kelly and Todd and Jenny are able to make a personal investment in the people. Now, I was very pleased this morning. I had the most beautiful lady in the church in my class this morning. Catherine giggled. She is the only one. You didn't get that? Brenda usually teaches in a class, 
And they, I guess you didn't have any children, little kids this morning. She's got a pouty face on. And so she had to come to my class. I was thrilled because I love my class. And, and having her there with me is special. And she normally can't do that. Listen, guys, it's all about people. When they walk in the door, you need to be excited when somebody new comes. And you need to let them know that you're excited about them being here because it's not about programs it's about people in fact our success as a church is measured in changed lives of people now i like it that we had what was it todd 203 in attendance last sunday praise god i can see a few holes this morning we're not going to hit 200 this morning too many people traveling for, uh, for Christmas, either that or they're sick on plum pudding or something. But I like the numbers, and God is blessed that we have grown. Praise God. But every number, Melody, represents a person. It's not just the numbers. It's the people. And you know what the big deal is? It's not just the people in attendance, it's lives that have been changed. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, get this, showing the results of our ministry among you. It does not matter, Alice, if you've got a house full of people, if nobody's life is changed, if nobody is saved, if nobody's growing in their faith. Casey, if nobody's being set free from bondage, why are we here? We are here for changed lives, for us to be changed and to have the opportunity of changing the lives of others. Listen, ministry is about people, and people require a personal touch. Walter, that's a poster that's been on our wall in the staff room for two years now. That is our primary mantra on the staff. Ministries about people, not buildings. Thank God for the building. Not computers. Thank God for the computers. Thank God for the big screens. I love that. But it's all about people. Those are tools. You never... Uh, was it Dallas Holmes near about 100 years ago that sang the song about loving things and using people? Anybody remember that? And he said the opposite of that is loving people and using things. Now, which way do you think is right? These things are tools for us to use in ministry, but the ministry is all about people. A life-changing church is a church that focuses on people. And a church that does not focus on people will never be a life-changing church. A life-changing church, we have to understand that in all of this, our sufficiency is in Christ. Our ability, our qualifications, our sufficiency for the ministry is in Christ. He says, such is the confidence 
that we have through Christ. That, that word needs circling. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Our sufficiency comes from our faith in God through Christ. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Now you talk about confidence and somebody will get the, the right idea. If you think that I'm confident when I get up here, you would be mistaken. Um, Jamie D., that's what I call her, caught me last night before I came out to speak to the kids, and she gave me a hug and said, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. She knows me. She worked with me too long to not know my heart. It's going to be all right. And it was. I don't know what you think, but I was thrilled by the attention of the kids. And, of course, I was just a little wild with them, and they liked that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask somebody about my camel that I, that I rode last night. Anyway, it's, it's not confidence. It's dependence on Christ. It's faith in God. This is all about Him. I love that song. It's all about you, Jesus. Not that we are confident in ourselves. It's not by the power of personality. You say, well, you're a people person. Well, I love people. I do. I, I really love people. And I surely love my church. But it's not my personality. It's the Spirit of God working in my heart and working in, in, in yours. We are not competent of ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Our competence, our sufficiency comes from Him. And we, and we have to be careful. If you are confident in yourself, Kyle, you'll always end up stealing God's glory. And the Bible says, Karen says in the Old Testament, God says, I will not share my glory with another. And Joe, I, I've always tried to be careful about stealing God's glory. My dad said to me in the first revival that I ever preached, surrendered to preach and went off to seminary and I learned a lot. It's because I was pretty dumb when I went. I didn't realize how much I didn't know. By the way, education is finding out how much you don't know. Well, I didn't get any amens to that. That's all right. still true. But I came back, and I will confess, Don, I was a bit puffed up because I had learned a lot in seminary. And I came back and preached that revival, and God blessed. I mean, it was, it was good, and I preached good. And I said something to Dad about enjoying the, the revival and how good, how well it had gone. And he said, yeah, I just hope you can handle it. Just melt. I just hope you can handle it. 
You see, the danger, Todd, is that we will enjoy what we're doing so much that we will steal God's glory. That's a sin against God. That's making yourself an idol. That pride is destructive. I just hope you can handle it, he said. And I've tried to handle it ever since, knowing that my competence is from God and not of myself. And if he does not speak, my words are empty. The preparation is worthless. If the Spirit of God does not move in this service, it's because somebody, probably me, is stealing God's glory. It is, in fact, God working in us and through us. Now, we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy, you realize that's about the third word I've used for, for that term, is from God who made us adequate to be servants of the New Testament, not based on the letter, but on the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Not based on stone and mar mortar. A life-changing church is a church in which the Holy Spirit of God is working. I have prayed, and it is my prayer right now, that the Spirit of God will walk between these rows of chairs and up and down the aisles and will speak to every one of you and that the Spirit of God will move with power and glory in faith in LR. And through that power, our church needs to be a Spirit-filled church and, and to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit, enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit, and then lives will be changed. No life will be changed in this church without the power of the Holy Spirit. And this church will not be a life-changing church unless the Spirit of God moves in our midst and through our lives. Our God, we need to understand, our God is a life-changing God. Our goal is changed lives. That's our purpose. That's what it's all about, changing lives. First of all, from death to life. This is a section I'll warn you ahead of time. I'm going to have to move through quickly because this is a sermon within a sermon. Uh, this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. We've talked in our small group, the Barnabas class, about the purpose of the law. The law never saved anyone. All it ever did was make them dead or realize that they're dead and separated from God. It's called the law, our taskmaster, our nanny, if you will to bring us to the truth of our sin, to know that we are separated from God. But the ministry of the Spirit is to bring us to the Christ who died for our sins to save our 
souls from death to life. Listen, being saved from sin and receiving the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ is the greatest change that can happen in a person's life. Should have been applause. Should have been amens. You think about it. What is the greatest change that ever happened in your life? It's greater than when you married. That's a big change. It's greater than when you had children. And that's a big change. It's greater than your occupation. It's greater than anything in your life. Some of us have been saved for so long, David, we've forgotten what it was like to be lost. But there is no greater change in your life than coming to Christ and having your eternal destination changed from death, from hell, to life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. That is the greatest change. Said I was going to have to hurry, but it's hard not to hammer that one. From darkness to light. He talks about glory. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory, that is the light, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory. That word glory, Joe, is, is the idea of brilliant light. The law could bring nothing, Cynthia, but death. It's darkness, it's stone, it's hard, it's cruel. And all it could bring, even though by inspiration, because he spent time with God, Moses' face would glow because he'd been with the Lord. But even so, it scared the people of Israel so they could not look on him. The Bible even teaches that, that, that he had to put a veil on so that they would not see the glory disappear. And that change that we're talking about is from confusion to understanding. You say, where do you get that? But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant, the Old Testament is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, that means people who are not saved have trouble understanding the Bible. Do you remember that when you were lost? You read it, and it's like gobbledygook. Now, that may be an Alabama word, but... I think the sound of it makes it clear what it means. Just gobbledygook. You can't, you can't understand it. But when you come to Christ right now, all of a sudden, Laura, you can begin to understand. Read the Word and suddenly it has meaning. You're coming from confusion to understanding. You're moving from bondage to freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. I want you to notice this, Casey. 
you and you and Kyle Sittings right in a line, and I thought of both of you and what God's doing in your life, and I thought about this verse. This verse, well, now this where the the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And check it out; it's exactly the same, word for word, in the ESV, in the NIV, in the NLT. You know what that means? That means where the, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That is deliverance from bondage. God is a bondage breaker. A life-changing church is willing to accept the broken and the fallen in order to minister them and love them into the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't turn away broken people. In fact, it is broken people coming to God who bring about the most change within a church because they are being changed. We don't turn people away because they are broken. Because every single one of us have been and are broken. We are by nature broken, in bondage to sin, but God is a bondage breaker. Praise God. God is a chain breaker. And He brings transformation in our lives. And that life change is called transformation. And it is by the Spirit of God. Now, transformed, the, the Greek word in the New Testament at that point, it's transformed in English is metamorphosis. Now, I looked around for, for our science teacher, but I don't see her. She's hiding. Wow! I said I could see all the way to the back. I should have said I can see all the way to Delenn. Metamorphosis. Um, some of you young people will understand the middle of the word. Morph. What is it to morph? It is a change, a total change not only in appearance, but in makeup. And it is the metamorphosis in science, Delenn, is from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Talk about a change. And that's the kind of change that God wants to make in your life and in mine. How does He do that? First of all, transformation, metamorphosis comes by seeing Him. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. That is, into His image. We're made to look like Him. You say, I can't see God. I can't see Jesus. Yes, you can. Just open the book. I haven't said it in the message yet. Maybe... Andrew, I should have said it already. We are a people of the book. A life-changing church has to be a people of the Bible. We preach the Word of God as it is. We don't morph the Word of God. The Word of God transforms us. Jamie, we look in the book and we see Jesus like in a glass, in a mirror, and every time we look, we come away different. 
We are transformed by the Spirit every time we meet with God in the Bible. Listen, there is nothing more powerful in a church than someone preaching the Word of God who really believes it to a group of people who really need it. And that Word is blessed by the Spirit of God that uses it. And we are a people, we are a church of the Bible, the preaching of the Word of God. But I need you to understand something. Larry, transformation is a process. It's just not a one-time thing. The, we need sanctification. That is a process of transformation. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image that is made to look like Him from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. Charles, every time you look in the book, no matter how many times you've looked and you see Jesus, every time you come away, come away changed a little bit more. It's one time's not enough. You need to be in your Bible. Though if we're going to be a life-changing church, we must be a people of the Word of God. Transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Listen. God's not interested in your reformation. What does that mean? It means you're changing yourself. Oh, I'll just do better and better. That'll get an addict in real trouble real quick. I'll do it. I'll reform myself. And Michael, when I get good enough, then I can be saved because I will deserve it. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of brokenness. When you realize that you are a sinner and you come to Him in faith, He will transform you to be like Him. Listen, that's what He wants. He wants to transform you. By the way, that's what we want. If you're a guest here, understand what we want for your life is life transformation. Not that we will change you, but we'll bring you to the Lord. We'll put you in the book. We'll study with you. We'll pray for you. We'll walk through difficult times of slips and slides with you so that God can bring a change to your life. Because faith, Baptist Church, is a life changing church. Do you believe that? Do you want that? That's what I want for our church. I want this church to be a life-changing church. And I want your life to be changed for the glory of God. Let's stand together and bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, there are those here who need to be saved. Lord, no greater transformation can take place than to come to Christ for salvation. 
and eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. And I pray for their salvation right now. Lord, whether they're willing to come to the altar and speak with me and pray with me, pray to you for salvation, or they just want to meet Todd or meet me in the lobby, I pray that they will come to faith in Christ today. Lord, there are people here who need to be baptized. They've been saved, but they've never followed you in scriptural baptism. Lord, I pray that they would change their hearts and their minds toward you and toward the church, and the Lord, that they would come today for scriptural baptism, whether it is here at the altar or talking with us in the lobby afterwards. Lord, the same for those who need to be members of this church. I pray that you would draw them to that commitment, that they can become a part of a life-changing church. Lord, I pray also that we would never steal your glory. For Lord, all honor, all glory, and all praise belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.